It was funny, as I was uh, coming up the stage, you may have seen that we had some of our Gen kids in here with us for worship this morning. As I passed one of them coming up, he looked at me and he said, hey, good luck. And uh, so I'm rolling off that, uh, that uh, encouragement uh, from him today. But how many of you uh, remember where you were on Sunday morning, September the 16th, 2001? And as you think about that for just a moment, uh, Jenny and I, we were serving uh, as an associate pastor in uh, St. Joseph, Michigan, where I was serving at the First Church of God at the time. And on that particular Sunday morning, the church uh, auditorium was packed, uh, jam-packed. You couldn't find a seat anywhere. Uh, We had to set up extra chairs in the aisles. We had to set up chairs uh, out in the lobby just to accommodate for the crowd. Uh, In spite of the circumstances, it was one of those Sundays we pastors dream about, Uh, one of those Sundays where everybody comes on the same Sunday all at one time, and you can enjoy uh, having such a big crowd together. Now, why such a big crowd? Well, if you're old enough uh, to remember, you might have put the pieces together that that was the Sunday after 9-11. And uh, again, if you remember that week, you know that uh, those days following, and especially that Sunday, uh, were pretty special, pretty important for a number of people. Uh, churches all around the country were filled that day as people were really still reeling from those attacks uh, that had rocked our country. Um, Research has shown that as a whole, church attendance nationwide grew about 25% in the weeks and the months following 9-11. However, that same research also revealed that it didn't take long before attendance was back down to the levels they were before the attacks. Now, what happened? Well, according to the Barna Group, and the Barna Group is a group that studies things like church attendance patterns, uh, they say this in one of their reports. They said, after the attack, millions of nominally churched or generally irreligious Americans were desperately seeking something that would restore stability, a sense of meaning uh, to life. But unfortunately, few of them experienced anything that was sufficiently life-changing to capture their long-term attention and allegiance. And so the big crowds lasted for a short while and then died off. But here's the thing. What was true in the rest of the country wasn't so true in New York City, where a majority of the deaths from the 9-11 attacks occurred. In fact, churches in New York City experienced not a spike in attendance, but studies now show a surge in attendance, which lasted, and get this, for the next 10 years. Uh, And according to an article in the Christian Post, church attendance in New York City grew to 46% in 2011, meaning 46% of the population attended weekly services compared to just 31% in the year before the attacks. Now, why? Well, what happened in New York City didn't happen in the rest of the country. And I realize that even when you think about a study like this and the changes in these statistics, that there are many different contributing factors from demographic trends to immigration to changing family status, whatever the case, et cetera. But there's no question that the shared suffering of the people in New York City had something to do with this spiritual resurgence. You see, here's the thing. There's some benefit to be gained when we share our pain with others, when we determine not to do it alone, to go at it alone, but to share, to be in community with others. Author and pastor Rick Warren says it like this. He says, the deepest level of fellowship is the fellowship of suffering. 
It's learning to suffer together. That is when people suffer together, that we grow closer together, uh, that we learn from one another, that we gain from these things. And while what's true, uh, what, what, excuse me, and, and while it's true that the whole country suffered together after 9-11, the people of New York City suffered like no other. Uh, and when you think about it, they were the ones close enough to see. They, they were the ones close enough to hear and to smell the disaster. And it, it seems like everyone there knew of someone that in some way, shape, or form was affected. And so it makes sense that they would turn to one another and turn to God in their time of struggle and recovery. If you've got a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to take it uh, and turn to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 18. Uh, if you're using one of the Bibles around the room on the floor, it's page 51 there. Or if you use something like the YouVersion app uh, on your phone, Exodus chapter 18. We're closing out our series today called How to Get Through What You're Going Through. And uh, these past few weeks, we've been talking about uh, how to get through things like pain uh, and suffering. And what I hope that you have discovered, part of what maybe God has been doing in you uh, these past few weeks together, is that you've discovered that, that God is more than able uh, to use uh, the bad things in our life for good. I mean, it was the Apostle Paul in Romans eight twenty eight that wrote, you know, and we know that in all things, all right, not just some things, all right, not just every once in a while, I want to encourage you today that none of you are the exception to this promise, that we know that in all things, God works for the good. And that means that he can use your pain for good. Uh, he can use your, your struggle uh, to draw you closer to him or to draw you back to him. He can use your pain and your struggle to deepen your faith in God. And what I want you to see today is that he can use that pain in your life to give you influence with others, uh, to give you a platform to share about God's faithfulness and goodness and provision, even in your most difficult times. And so we've been uh, looking at the story of the Israelites together, the story of the Israelites in the Old Testament. We know that the Israelites spent 40 years wandering around in the desert uh, on their way to the promised land. And if you know their story at all, if you followed it all, you know that it's full of plenty of ups and a whole lot of downs. And there was some good days, but there were plenty of difficult and uh, sorrowful days too. And it was going to take 40 years for God to turn their complaints and to turn their self-centeredness into things like faith and trust, which brings up a really good point. And that is that here's one of the dangers uh, with our suffering. Uh, it's this, that when all of our attention, uh, when all of our focus is on ourselves uh, when everything that we're shooting for and aiming for in life is very uh, me-centered, when, when this time on earth is all that I think about or all that you think about or when our personal happiness is all that matters, we're going to struggle. All right, you're going to struggle. And I want to say this gently uh, and graciously, but I'll warn you that it might sting a little. And that is that when it comes to your life and my life in this world, uh, you're not the main character in the story. All right, I, I'm not the main character in this story. We play supporting roles. Think about it like this. Um, every great movie has a main character, right? And alongside of that, in addition to the main character, there are also those who play minor or supporting roles. Uh, a minor character is there to do what? 
is there to support the main character of the story. That, that's the role. That, that's the goal of the supporting character. Take, for example, uh, Star Wars, all right? Star Wars 4, all right? Uh, a New Hope, okay? I'm assuming most everyone has seen that movie. Who, real easy question. Who's the main character in the story? Luke Skywalker, right? All right, he's the main character in this particular story. Now, let me give you another character, Biggs Darklighter, all right? How, how many of you know who Biggs Darklighter is? And if a few of you, you should be ashamed of yourselves for knowing the answer to that question. But Biggs Darklighter is an X-Wing uh, starfighter who swings in next to Luke as they are advancing uh, to destroy the Death Star. He's got like a 10-second spot or something before he blows up, all right? He's not going to return. His primary role is to protect and to support Luke in the story. And so if he had a, a bone about that at all, all right, if he was frustrated about the minimal part that he got to play, it didn't matter, all right? The movie's not about Biggs, all right? The movie's about Luke, all right? Biggs is there to support Luke so that Luke can save the day. Let me ask you a question this morning. If your life were conceived as a movie, who would the main character be? Who's the main character in your life? Would it be you or would it be Christ? Would it be Jesus? See, the thing is, the tough reality is that it's not about what you get. It's not about what I get or what I accomplish in this life. We play supporting roles. The purpose in life is about trusting Christ. It's about putting your faith in Christ. It's about supporting him and supporting the work that the Lord is doing in this world. It's about helping people find their way back to God, even when we suffer and even when we go through these difficult times. And so last week, I'm going to trip over this thing, sure enough. And so let's just get that out of here. Uh, last week, we talked about how it was a little unfair, really, that Moses didn't get to enter the promised land, especially after all he had gone through. All right, but because his relationship with the Lord was the most important thing in his life, he received a far greater reward. And when we begin to understand that life is not about our personal happiness or what you accomplish here on the earth. You know, our perspective and faith has the ability and the opportunity to change too. And so we'll begin to understand, you know, what Moses understood, and that is that our suffering and pain can turn us back to God. Uh, our suffering and pain is something that can draw us closer to God. And really, our lives, even our pain and our story, can be an opportunity to point others to the love of God extended to us through a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. And so as we conclude uh, this series today, I, I hope that's what you'll see. That's what I'm praying that the Lord will impress upon you in your life and even in your pain right now, the role and the opportunity that he has to use you and to bring purpose to your pain and to your story. And so uh, let's go back for just a moment to the uh, middle of the Israelite story for just a few minutes. I wanna go back to the desert one more time uh, with the Israelites, Exodus chapter 18. And briefly, just a little bit of background first. This, this comes at a time when Moses, their leader, was greatly overwhelmed. He's been leading the people. Uh, he, he's watched uh, God provide food for them. He's watched him provide water in the middle of the desert. But now the people are complaining. They're complaining once again. They wanna go back to Egypt. All right, they'd rather go back to slavery and they're starting to fight amongst themselves. And when the disputes arise, uh, who do you think they come to, right? They're going to Moses, all right? And so they turn to Moses and the weight of their complaints is starting to wear him down. 
And to top things off, his father-in-law comes for a visit. Now, guys, you know that every situation is made better in life when your in-laws come for a visit, right? Uh, Well, in this case, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, has some really good advice for Moses. Let's pick up the story there. Again, Moses is trying to keep everyone happy, and he watches, Jethro watches, as all of this suffering is really wearing down Moses, and here's what he says to him. Exodus chapter 18, uh, starting in verse 17. It says, Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. And I want to just stop there and call out that as Jethro challenges Moses, uh, maybe some of us will be challenged today, need to be challenged with many of the same words too. You know, it's it's a challenge. It's a burden to really carry your suffering and your struggles alone. And so Jethro sees this in Moses and he says to Moses, what you're doing is not good, all right? You need some people to help you. And I think that maybe that's part of what God wants to say to you today, say to some of you this morning in the heat of your own battle right now, whether that's a relationship problem that you're dealing with, maybe for some of you today it's loneliness, uh, maybe a financial problem or a health problem. Maybe, maybe for some of you this morning, uh, to some couple, it's a difficulty in having children. Maybe, maybe you're a single parent today and it's the challenge of doing life alone. Uh, maybe you find yourself taking care of aging parents right now. Maybe an addiction. Maybe a, an emotional scar or hurt from your past. What, whatever it is that you're carrying around, for some of you today, you're trying to do this all alone. And so I think what part of what God wants me to say to you today is this, that what you're doing is not good. You can't carry this burden alone. You weren't meant to carry this burden alone. And so I want to challenge you to find someone who can help you share in these burdens. In fact, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we're, we're called to share in the sufferings of others. It's part of our role and responsibility as a church to care for and to love and to support one another. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, Paul says, carry each other's burdens And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Now, I want to acknowledge that I know that sometimes it can be easier uh, to share what you've gone through in the past rather than share what you're currently going through with someone else. And maybe it's because we're we're sort of led to believe that time will heal wounds, you know, or if we just keep them uh, to ourselves, that maybe that's easier. But for those of you that are going through difficulties right now, what I hope that you will see is it's important to have people in your life that you trust, uh, uh, people who are willing to listen, people who will pray for you, people who will help you carry your burdens and while you're in them, all right? Not after you've gone through them, but while you're in them because we never know how long we might go through these things. But before we go too far, let's acknowledge something we all know, that being honest about your struggles, being honest about your suffering can be hard, especially for two groups of people. Men and women, all right? Uh, these can be difficult things, and, and let me tell you why. And forgive me if this is not true of you. I'm not in any way trying to be chauvinistic or trying to stereotype anyone, but let me tell you why this is hard for us, guys. All right? We don't like to show our weakness, all right? We, for whatever reason, we, so many are raised in such a way that, you know, we're supposed to stay tough, you know, to kind of keep things to ourselves, and so we like to give the impression that we've got it all together, and so... We pretend to be the strong ones, you know, because we're worried 
You know, we're worried might, what, what might happen if your wife finds out or if your girlfriend finds out or your kids or your friends, if, if all of a sudden someone else realizes that you've got some dents in your armor, all right, if you would. And so that's one of the reasons that we don't like to open up. But as followers of Jesus, we need to, be, we need to understand that there are strengths to be found and discovered you know, when we admit and when we acknowledge our struggles, uh, take the Apostle Paul, for example. He knew something about struggles and weaknesses, and here's what he learned from them. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, he says, you know, my, my grace is sufficient for you. This is what he heard the Lord say to him. My, my power is made perfect in weakness. And so here's Paul's testimony. Here's what he learned through it so, all. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me, and so let me ask you, fellas, today: Would would you rather work from your own power, or would you prefer to work through Christ's power, you know, in you and, and for you? I'm guessing most of us would choose to work with Christ's power. Now, ladies, uh, here, here's why your struggles might be hard for you. And again, I'm sorry if this isn't true for you. All right, but generally, ladies are more in touch with their emotions than men. Okay, but here's maybe where you might stumble. Uh, think, think about it like this. Look at it like this. Do you ever get so busy or, or so tied up into caring for other people, maybe even caring for other women and their struggles and their needs, all right? And because you're doing that and maybe doing that out of a great place in your own heart, you'll convince yourself that your struggles aren't important enough to share with anyone else, all right? That maybe you're the exception to that matter, and so you choose not to bother anyone else with them. I wonder how many women will wither up and die emotionally before they'll share their burdens or their problems or their questions or their sufferings with someone else. The, 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 the point is this. We, we struggle with transparency, all right? And, and we, we, we put this pressure on ourselves that we've got to have it all together. We're, we're great at this in central Indiana, all right? That we've got to make it look like we've got this perfect life and this perfect home, and so we'd rather give the impression that we have it all together. And maybe you've heard the saying that when you share your joys, your joy is doubled, all right? When you share your burdens, your burdens, uh, they are halved. And, well, as cliched as that is, there's some truth in it for both men and women, for, for teens and for kids as well. You know, it's important to have a safe place to share your struggles. It's important to have people in your life that you can talk to and process with. It's important to have people in your life with whom you can share these burdens that maybe you've had. And, and maybe you've heard this cliche too, you know, whether it be in sports or exercise, no pain, right? No gain, all right, you don't put yourself through these things, you're not gonna gain anything. The idea there is that if you're gonna grow, if you're gonna advance or if you're gonna get better, it should hurt a little bit. And so we, we want to get over it and we push through it. But the, but the truth in life is that so many people waste their pain. And we're more likely to waste our suffering than be transformed by it. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 4, really asking it as a question. He said to them, have you experienced or suffered so much in vain? You know, if it really was in vain. Basically, he was asking, did you suffer for nothing? Like, did you not find any purpose in this? I mean, it's really a challenge of, of saying, if you're gonna go through, Paul is saying, tough times, at least grow from them. He says, don't waste your pain. And I guess that's part of what I wanna challenge you with today is no matter what it is for you, no matter what you're going through, don't waste your pain. 
Don't, don't waste this time in the desert, in the wilderness, this time of suffering. Don't, don't let this season of your life, no matter how hard it may be, lead to your ruin or to the ruin of someone else. Let, let good things come from it. The, the desert of your life can become fertile ground for God to produce in us and around us some beautiful things. Let, let him produce in you uh, greater faith. Uh, let him use this season to produce in you greater trust. And certainly, be open to the fact that he might want to use this season of your life right now to give you even greater influence with others. And so, as we bring this series to an end today, I want to end with a couple of thoughts real quick about the importance of sharing your pain with others. Really, the, the heart of today's message is just an encouragement to not go through your pain or to go through the desert alone. It really is a challenge to invite others in. And so, if you're taking notes this morning, I'm going to share with you uh, just two ways talking about your pain uh, can bring a greater purpose for you and others. The first thing is this, that sharing your pain helps you. I mean, it has the potential to, to help you and to help with the healing and to help you in growing through it. And we talked about last week how your pain uh, can help you in growing closer to God and in developing uh, intimacy with Him. Um, sharing your pain with others can help you uh, in that process of thinking and understanding and, and maybe even discerning what God is trying to do in you uh, through this season. See, see, pain never leaves us where we are. All right, it's going to pick us up and it's gonna put us in a different place. And so you can either let it make you bitter or you can let it make you better. And often a large part of that difference comes from your willingness to invite others in. All right, specifically other Christ followers, your church into it. I, I look at it like this as a pastor, um, part of my responsibility is hearing about a lot of wounds and hearing a lot about a challenge uh, of challenges and problems in people's lives. And whether those are marriage problems or drug problems or spending problems or uh, issues with pornography, uh, one thing that I've learned, and I'm grateful for this, is that people don't come to me uh, looking to me to solve their problem or to give them an answer uh, for the reason, you know, or to the question of why they're in the situation they're in. So they're not always looking for answers. So often, people seem encouraged just to have someone who is willing to listen to them, all right, and to pray for them, to encourage them. And sometimes people want to know, you know, can good come from this or can something better come out of this? I uh, like, again, the Apostle Paul, who was a pastor and a church planner, what he wrote about this to the church in Corinth. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11, he said to them, see what this godly sorrow has produced in you? What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. He says, at every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. In other words, he said, hey, look, you've gone through a really difficult time, but just look at what it's doing for you and what it's producing in your life. Look how God has used it for the good and look at how it's changed you. And so we've said all throughout this series, you know, that we can't choose whether or not we'll experience pain, but we can choose how we respond to it and how we'll respond through it. And if we share our pain with others, especially those uh, in our church, those other Christ followers that God has put around us, people who will love us and care about us, it can help us and it can help you and it can help you heal and it can help you grow and it can help you change and become more and more like Jesus. And so please, please don't live in secrecy, all right? 
Don't live in secrecy. Don't try and go through this alone. For some of you today, you need to schedule an appointment with someone this week and get coffee. Someone that you love, someone that you know will love you, someone that you can trust. Maybe, maybe a next step for you is to invite your connection group in on with what you're struggling, with what you're going through. Maybe, maybe to reach out to someone from our staff team uh, that we might be able to help you in some way or let us, let us help you uh, find help outside of the church, including things like Christ-centered counseling uh, with a professional. Don't carry the burden alone. All right, share your pain with someone you know, someone who will love you and pray for you. And let me just say this too, that if you're on the receiving end of this sort of news, if someone is choosing to confide in you, like don't miss an opportunity to listen. All right, don't miss an opportunity to be available to someone else that you might encourage them and pray for them and help them in their next steps. He's sharing our, our pain it helps us. It has the potential to help us. And the second thing is this, that sharing our pain can help others too. And that's one of the beautiful ways that God can work in, in our desert and, and through our experience in the desert. Because when we're honest about our pain and struggles, you know, we let people know that we're human, all right, that we're not perfect, all right? And some people may look at your life and they may not think that you've got any problems, but when you get an opportunity to share with them, well, that might change their perception of you for the good. But at the same time, it gives you by sharing, all right, it gives you an opportunity to minister to, to others who are going through similar things. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 3, Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles. Now get this, so that we... All right, what does the Lord want to do? What, what's part of his um, purpose in our pain and struggles? He says, so that we can then comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. And so when we suffer, uh, when, when you struggle, when we experience pain, those of us who are Christians, we should turn to God, all right? And God comforts us, but the promise is that in turn, we can then comfort others who experienced that same pain. And, and that makes a lot of sense, especially when you think about the society that we live in, whether it be Christians or non-Christians today. I mean, think about it. Who, who's better equipped, all right, to, to help alcoholics than someone who has struggled with alcoholism and found some victory from it? Who, who can better minister to rape victims than someone who has endured that and experienced that but found some healing and restoration through it? I mean, it's why we have support groups for people who are struggling with infertility or ladies who have had an abortion or cancer survivors or those who have lost loved ones to cancer or the children of addicts. And many of those cases, it's those who have suffered and suffered the same things. And those who have been comforted by God who have then gone on to comfort and to help others. And you know helping others also means that we have an opportunity to share the good news with them. That really pain and suffering, as someone once said, becomes a megaphone, you know, to the rest of the world. That there is a God who is faithful. And there is a God who comforts and helps. And he's not just simply a good God when things are great in our lives. But he is a good and faithful God when life is difficult as well. And so your response to your suffering can give you built-in influence with others who are going through or will go through similar things as well. And, and if you've read much of the New Testament or even just been listening today, you know that 
the Apostle Paul had a lot of things to say about pain and suffering, and that was because he had experienced it in his life as well. He even writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, he, he says, hey, here's my story. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. He says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. He says, I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country. You don't want to spend a lot of time around this guy, all right? In danger at sea. Uh, he says, in danger from false believers. He says, I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. He says, all, all this suffering that I've endured, all this pain, you think he would have given up and turned away from God. But look at what he wrote in another time about this in Philippians 1:12. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. See, Paul had in no doubt, in retrospect, he had no doubt why he had to go through the desert. He came to realize this in his life. His misery became his ministry. And in some ways for all of us, the hard times that we go through or that maybe you're even going through today can become the platform from which you might be able to shout the mighty name of Jesus in your life and for others if you'll choose, if we're willing to share our suffering and more importantly, share our hope in Christ. It can help us but it can also be a way of reaching out and helping and encouraging others too. And so I want to end with a story this morning as we close out this message and series. And it's a story that some of you know uh, very well. Uh, it's the story of our own Cameron and Carissa Sprinkle. Uh, Cameron serves as our worship pastor over at our Carmel campus. And uh, the two of them have struggled with infertility and most of you know that their story right now has a very happy ending, but I want you to hear it from them and to hear specifically about how God taught them in the middle of their desert and their suffering. Check this out. When we were in the middle of our desert season, I felt like I had to be strong for Carissa. I kept defending God and proclaiming his goodness and telling her to trust his plan. But eventually there was a Sunday morning when we got done leading worship and I kind of wandered backstage and I sat down by myself in the dark and I cried out to God and I said the most aggressive two-word question I've ever asked, why us? And in his gentle way, I felt like I heard the Lord reply to me. You know, sometimes people ask me, what do you mean God spoke to you? Like, what, what's that like? And my best way that I can explain it is that I will try to clear my mind of all my thoughts and I'll just simply ask God questions. And if whatever comes into my mind next is too uh, profound or too gentle or too wise to have been something that I manufactured myself, then I attribute those thoughts to the Holy Spirit. And in that moment when I said, God, why us? I heard him say, because you have a lot of people watching you and I wanna teach all of you something. And I broke down and I cried because I felt like now I understood that there was a, a purpose to my pain. And I felt really validated in that moment that God was saying, yes, I see you, 
And yes, I'm doing something with all of this. So from that moment on, I would determine to make the most of our pain by sharing it. The more I processed it and the more that God spoke to me too, I saw what, um, what a privilege it was and what an honor it was and what could come from this. So we made a video uh, where we shared our struggle with infertility. We posted it on Facebook and we were completely overwhelmed uh, by the response that we got. We had so many comments come in. I got so many messages and that kind of led to um, being able to start a group for women, local women who are struggling with the same thing. And so we've met uh, now and then and we talk on Facebook all the time and it's just created a community and a team of us who are sort of um, struggling together. It's been much less isolating doing it that way. The video got shared 173 times on Facebook, which was crazy. And I began to sense this urgency because I now began to see uh, the influence that God was giving us in our desert. And I began to see the desert as a closing window because I knew that if God ever did give us a baby, that would change the way that we had influence on people. So I understood strategically that God was giving us a billboard and we had to decide what we wanted to put on that billboard. We had to decide what our message was. And I didn't want our message to be something that was only true for us. I didn't want our message to be that if you pray hard enough, God will give you a baby. Because the truth is not everybody's gonna get a baby. I just really thought that reaching the promised land wasn't the point of our story, partly because God had never promised us a baby. So we decided that what we wanted to put on our banner is that God is always faithful, whether you can see it or not. Faithfulness isn't deliverance to the promised land. Faithfulness is having him by your side through the desert. Dark weeks and months would go by where we weren't hearing God's voice, where we weren't seeing his, his goodness or his faithfulness in our lives the way that we wanted to see it. And I remember saying at one point to God saying, uh, my friends, my family, and my church community have all been incredibly faithful to me. Where have you been? And again, his gentle, way of replying, he said, that's how I was faithful to you. And that's a faithfulness we wouldn't have seen if we hadn't shared our burdens with others, if we hadn't shared our burden with our connection group, if we hadn't shared it with our family, if we hadn't shared it with our church family, we would not have seen God use them to be faithful to us if we hadn't shared our pain. We did end up having a baby. Scarlet Faith was born um, in October and she has been literally everything that we've ever hoped she would be. But the blessing of receiving her was not the point of our story. You know, we still have people from time to time who will come up and share with us or send us a message telling us what they learned from us during that season. And it reminds me of that promise that God gave us. He said, a lot of people are watching you and I want to teach you all something. So in that season, I learned that God is always faithful, even though that may not always look how we want it to look. And I also learned the value of sharing our pain. Now that doesn't mean making a big video and posting it on Facebook the way that we did, but it does mean making a conscious effort to connect with others and be vulnerable with them. Because who knows what God could do with your story. I'm so grateful for Cameron and Krista and their willingness uh, to share their story. And I just want to say to you today that if you're walking through a desert right now, and you're doing it alone, what you're doing is not good. And so will you consider sharing your suffering uh, for your benefit? 
maybe for the sake of someone else, will you dare to believe that your misery could become a ministry to someone in need around you? And um, as I was preparing this week, I noticed that the book of 2 Corinthians has an awful lot to say about suffering. And so if you're looking for some homework or some reading this week, maybe look there. Uh, One last time, here's what the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. You know, one of the ways that we constantly are reminded of the death of Jesus is through a time of sharing in communion together as a community, as one, to acknowledge and remember the death of our Savior, Jesus Christ, so that we can find life, that we can have strength and be made whole, and to have this time together as one, as one church as one body. And so we're going to do that now and uh, maybe a little different than we have. Uh, Recently, we've got two tables in the front and one table in the back. And in just a moment, I'll invite you if you would choose to get up from your seat and to go to one of these tables and to take the cup. Uh, You'll find that the cracker is in the bottom of a second cup. So take both of those uh, cups and you can return to your seat and, and take the cracker and the juice as a remembrance of our Savior and the significance of doing this together, but also, and maybe in a significant way for you this morning, the action of getting up from your seat and acknowledging your need or your desire for the greatest helper we've been given in this world, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and what that walk may mean for you to receive his body and his blood and the reminder of his victory for your life and his faithfulness and goodness for you, but for each of us together today. And so the band's gonna play and I'll invite you whenever you're ready uh, to come to one of these tables and you can take the elements back to your seat and you take them when ready. And just open your ears to hear from the Lord today and maybe how he might encourage you in these next steps. You can go to these tables now. Forgiveness was born. 
mistakes Come today, there's no reason to wait Jesus is calling Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy From the ashes a new life is born Father's arms are open wide for you. 
eyes to see you and ears to hear you even in the midst of trial even in the midst of suffering Lord would you remind us of your nearness that you are faithful that you will never leave us or forsake us it's in Jesus name we pray amen